0: Let me, uh, let me open us up in prayer uh, before we read uh, this morning's passage. God, uh, thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone who's here. And I just want to um, just repeat uh, what Thomas prayed and confessed on behalf of all of us just a moment ago, that we need you, that I need you as I preach. I pray that you would help me. I pray that as we talk about... Um, as we talk about the brevity of life and the certainty of judgment this morning, as we wrap up this series in Ecclesiastes, that God, you would open our eyes to um, to what really matters. Um, I pray for that every single person in here, Jesus, would see just how glorious, beautiful, and wonderful the Savior you are, how sure of the Savior you are. And that if there's anyone here who has not trusted in you for the forgiveness of their sins, that today would be the day of salvation. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've come to the end of our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, We've been in Ecclesiastes for the last five weeks, and we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, uh, verse 7. And we're going to go through chapter 12, verse 8 this morning. So the uh, book of Ecclesiastes is right in the middle of your Bible. So if you were just kind of open it up in the halfway point, uh, it is right after Proverbs and right before the book of Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon. So uh, you can probably find it just by looking for Proverbs or the Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes 11:7 to 12, 8. I'm going to read the passage first, and then we're going to jump in uh, and uh, talk about it. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, the words will be on the screen behind me so you can read along up there as well. Here's what the Word of God says. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities says the preacher, all is vanity. Now, most people make the mistake of pegging the book of Ecclesiastes as a somber, depressing book. Uh, Some of your translations may say uh, all is meaningless. Instead of using the word vanity, it'll say uh, meaningless. And Um, I I think that's actually an unfortunate thing that we come to the conclusion that it's a depressing book because the word for vanity you may remember from week one uh, is literally the word that means breath, okay? And so when uh, the preacher says vanity of vanity, all is vanity, or when he says in chapter 11, verse 10, that youth and the dawn of life are vanity, he's not saying that our youth is meaningless, and he's not saying that our lives are meaningless. He's saying that they're fleeting, and he's saying that youth is fleeting. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Remember, it's like your breath on a cold day. Standing outside on a cold winter day, and you breathe, and you try you could try to reach out and grasp your breath and it just wisps away. It's here and then it's gone. That's what our youth is like. And that's what our life is like. You see, Ecclesiastes is not a, a depressing book about how nothing on earth matters since we're all gonna die. That's not that's not his point. The preacher. What he wants us to do is he wants us to be honest about about our mortality so that we can learn to truly live. The fact that life is fleeting actually heightens the importance of what we do in life. And so what he's doing, what the preacher's doing in this passage is he's emphasizing the brevity of life and the certainty of judgment to to emphasize just how important what we do on a day-to-day basis here in this life is. So it's actually the opposite. He's not saying that what we do doesn't matter. He's saying that what we do matters very much. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning uh, and you're here, then this message is important for you because right now you are not ready for the single most important event in your life, which is death. After death comes judgment if you want to be a wise person, you need to live in such a way that you are prepared to die. In verse 8, he says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So he's saying, that's good, that's great. Praise God if he gives us many years. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. When he says the days of darkness, he's not saying that like life's going to suck most of the time. What he's saying is that he's talking about death, that darkness represents death. So he's saying that even if we live 90 years, and God gives us lots and lots of years. Eternity is going to make our brief life here pale in comparison. The days after our death will be many. So it makes no sense to spend all of our waking moments thinking about this life while spending hardly any time thinking about the next. When the next one makes this life look so short. The preacher is going to teach us how to prepare well. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you are not ready for death yet, I hope that you'll listen to what the Word of God has to say this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, this text is important for you because you too will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us will give an account for what we've done in the body. So that's what God's Word says. Now, if you're in Christ, you are no longer under condemnation. Okay, Jesus took your sin on the cross, but it still matters what you do and you will still give an account to God. Not to mention you have friends and family members who will stand before God, many of whom are not covered in the righteousness of Christ right now. And We need to be sober minded about the brevity of life and the surety of judgment. And we also need to be clear headed about the command That we see here in this passage to enjoy our lives and to make them count for the glory of God. The preacher says, remember the creator in your youth. So what does a a life well spent for Christ look like for believers? The preacher is going to teach us that as well this morning. So if you have a sermon handout, you can uh, follow along uh, the outline on that. Uh, There's two primary lessons that the preacher is teaching us. The first one is make the most of life before it ends. Make the most of life before it ends. This is, there's kind of two parts to this statement. Um, Your life is going to end and you need to make the most of it before it does. So let's take those in turn. Um, You need to live like you're dying because you are. We all are. And the pre, the, you probably noticed that this is a theme that keeps coming up week after week in this series in Ecclesiastes. There's a reason that the preacher keeps on beating this drum over and over again. It's because we tend to forget. We tend to not think about the certainty of death. And so he's going to keep reminding us. And in this passage, the preacher uses the creation theme from Genesis to make his point. It's not an accident that he says, remember your creator in your youth. He could have said, remember God remember the Lord, remember Yahweh, but he says, remember your creator in your youth in verse one. And then in verse two, he says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. What he's doing is he's using the analogy of the sun and the moon and the stars being darkened to, uh, to, to give us a picture of the reversal of of the created order. What he's saying is that in this analogy just just as the sun and the moon and the stars are being darkened when when God created the heavens and the earth he said let there be light and light appeared and just as they're being darkened in this analogy we too are also being unmade. We were created from dust and to dust we will return. That's what he is teaching us here. You can watch your unmaking in the mirror year after year, can't you? You can, you can feel it in your body as you get older. You begin to feel your body break down the older you get. And that's what he, he uses several analogies in verses 2 to 7. Let's look at some of these. He says in verse 3, he, he says, In the days when the keeper of the house tremble. The keepers of the house. That's your hands. Your hands that right now, they can defend you. They can protect you. They can provide. But one day, they're going to tremble and they're no longer going to be able to provide. And they're no longer going to be able to protect. Or how about, he says, when your grinders are few. He's talking about your teeth. One day, you're going to lose those too. When he, And then in verse 3 he says, when those who look through the windows are dimmed, your eyesight is going to fade. Eventually, you're not going to be able to see as well as you could. In verse 4, he says, and the daughters of song are brought low, so our hearing is going to fade. In verse 5, he says, when the grasshopper drags itself along, legs that were once strong and sturdy are going to become weak. And then in verse 6 and 7, well, my favorite one actually is when the almond tree blossoms. Has anybody ever seen an almond tree blossom? You know what color it is? White. He's talking about your hair. Your hair is going to turn white. The almond tree is going to blossom one day. And then in verse six and seven, he says before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. So all of those things are, are uh, they hold water, right? And and uh, what he's doing is he's drawing an analogy here and that water is our life and the vessels that hold that water are our bodies. One day our bodies are going to break down and our Life is going to spill out. That that day is coming for every single one of us. To d- dust we are, and to dust we will return. Life is fleeting. And the day when the Spirit leaves the body is coming quicker than we realize. That's what he's teaching us here in verses 2 to 7. So the question is, are you ready for it? Are you ready for that day? The fact that our life is going to end heightens the urgency of living it well now. So we'll be prepared for old age and death. But what's the best way to do that? How do we make the most of life before it ends? There's a couple of things here that I think God's word teaches us. First, you need to live for what you cannot lose. You need to live for what you cannot lose. The preacher reminds us over and over again that uh, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity. Life is fleeting. So don't live for the things that are going to pass away. The way to enjoy the gifts God has given us here is not to idolize them. So gifts that God has given us like marriage or money or physical fitness or sex or nature are given to us by God so that our enjoyment of these things will pour back out to Him in praise. When these things consume our lives and we think we need them to make us happy or content or safe or satisfied, we're idolizing them. We're revering them more than God and we're dishonoring the giver. And what's more, we're being foolish. It makes no sense for me to build my life around body image because we just read that my body is going to fade. But one of the saddest things is to, is whenever i see like a senior citizen who's gone through like 15 plastic surgeries to try to fend off the effects of aging here's the old age is incredibly frightful when we live for the things that death is going to steal but you know what death can't take it can't take a restored relationship with god through faith in jesus christ It can't take eternal life that's given to you as a gift when you place your faith in Jesus. It can't take the Spirit of God who dwells within you when you're born again. Romans 8.10 says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You need to live for what you cannot lose. Secondly, you need to serve God with all you have. The second essential to enjoying life in the way that God intended is to serve Him with all that you have. In chapter 12, verse 1, the preacher says, rejoice in your youth, but do so while remembering your Creator. Remember your Creator in your youth. We ought to love and serve God with the best years of our lives. Many people look at life and think that the best way to enjoy their youth is to spend it on themselves. They spend their youth how they, how they want, on the things that they feel like they want to do. But God did not give us our lives to serve ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says that if you are in Christ, you are not your own. You have been bought with a high price. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that of Christians, you are a, ro- a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's why you've been saved. So that you can declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. If you are a Christian, you were redeemed from your sinful and selfish ways so that you could use the rest of your life to serve God. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, v- who for their sake died and was raised. That's why Christ died for us. Are you doing that? Where is your time and your attention going? Where are you investing your resources? Me, I, mean, I want to specifically address young people. And there's a lot of young people in this room. In fact, most people in this room are young. Use your youth and your vigor to serve God before you run out of energy. That's what this passage is teaching us. You will not wish that you had spent more time on your career or making money in your old age. A life poured out for God is not a wasted life. I was reading this week in Mark chapter 14. Um, Uh, Jesus is he's in Jerusalem. Uh, He's in the days leading up to his uh, arrest and trial and crucifixion. He knows that his disciples don't know it yet, and they're in a home, and a woman uh, comes up to him, and she's got an alabaster jar of pure nard, which was like perfume, and it was worth three hundred days' wages. Uh, So, very expensive ointment, and she begins to pour it out on Jesus and to anoint him. And those who uh, are looking on. Uh, see it and they, they look on and they say, what a waste. That money could have been used for something that was actually useful. It could have been used for something that would have been beneficial. Why is she just pouring it out on Jesus? And for her, it was her best it was her best way of expressing that Jesus was worth everything to her. but the others that looked on thought it was a waste. When you use your vacation time to go on mission, or pass up the better job offer to move to a city to help plant a church, or leave behind a lucrative career to go into ministry, or give away a big chunk of your savings to support a ministry, a missionary, many are going to look on and say, what a waste. But listen, nothing poured out for Jesus is ever a waste. Give Him your best. Remember your Creator in your youth. Older adults, this passage is for you too. You are not young, but you are not as old as you will be. Retirement is some of your best years. Don't use them on yourself. Empty nesters or soon to be empty nesters, what will you do with your freedom? Let me urge you to give it away for the sake of the kingdom. What an investment. What a return you will get. But if you use them on yourself, you'll never get them back. It'll be fun for a while, but like a sandcastle on the beach, the waves of death will come with the tide and wash them away. No matter who you are, I want to urge you to pour your life out for the sake of the kingdom. Remember your Creator in your youth. Nothing... That is poured out for Jesus is ever a waste. There's lots of ways and opportunities to do that here at Pillar DC. One that I'd love to highlight for you is that we're taking a mission trip to Iceland in May, May 24th through June the 1st. Less than 1% of the people in the nation of Iceland know Jesus Christ. There's only one Baptist church in the entire country, and we are supporting a church planter who's attempting to plant the second one, And we're going there so that we can go and proclaim the gospel and we can encourage and equip the few believers that are there in Iceland so that they can reach their friends and their neighbors. Maybe God's calling you to sacrifice your finances and your vacation time and your comfort zone to come and serve with us in Iceland this summer. If you're interested in that, I encourage you, go to the info table after the service and sign up. There's an interest seat. Put your name down and we can send you more info about that. Another option is discipleship, especially for those of you who are uh, older adults, you've got families, we've got a church full of young people. Take someone under your wing. There's many young people in our church who need examples of godly men and women. They need examples of what a godly father looks like, of what a godly mother looks like. Invite them into your homes, open up your homes to one another. Have dinner together. Spend time with one another. The way to remember your creator in your youth is to leverage your life to serve God with the best of what you have. Thirdly, the third essential to enjoying life in the way that God intended is to be thankful for what God has given. Um, look at verse ten, chapter eleven, verse ten. The preacher says, Remember vexation, or remove vexation from your heart, and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So what he's saying is, stop dwelling on the pain in your body or the vexing circumstances in your life. It's a waste of time. When he says, remove pain from your body, he's not saying, you know, heal yourself. He's saying, stop dwelling on it. Stop obsessing over it. Stop focusing on the fact that, you know, your body is hurting or that things aren't going well in your life because remember that youth is fleeting. It's going to go away. So we shouldn't be surprised when we lose our youth. We shouldn't be surprised if our health begins to fail. I'll admit I needed to hear this this week. Some of you know I've had increasingly bad back pain over the last couple of years that has gotten uh, pretty acute, especially over the past year. And it's taken away some of my strength and athletic ability and it's been very frustrating for me at times because uh, the selfish part of me in my flesh uh, gets mad and thinks I'm 33. This isn't supposed to happen to me yet. I deserve athletic ability. I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to still be strong. I deserve more years at my physical peak. But this passage reminded me this week that youth is fleeting. So whether it's 33 or 63, my back and my legs will get weaker. They will. It's okay to pray for healing. And God may grant it. But just remember, even if God heals now, youth is still fleeting. Our bodies will break down. I thought... About uh, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, this week in Isaiah chapter thirty-eight, he was one of the kings of Israel, and uh, he was uh, the Lord came to Hezekiah uh, one night and uh, in a vision and told him that he was about to die and to get ready because he's going to die. Hezekiah uh, broke down and he pled with the Lord to spare his life and and to give him more time. And God decided uh, to, uh, to 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 answer Hezekiah's prayer and He said, "Okay, I'll give you more time." And He told Hezekiah, "I'm going to give you fifteen more years." That was a gracious gift from God. But Hezekiah still died 15 years later. God may heal you of your ailment, but our ultimate hope is not healing in this world, it's the resurrection healing when Christ returns. I know many of you are enduring much more significant physical pain than I am. Some of you have pain simply because you're aging. And some of you are young and you're enduring a lot of pain. I don't know why some bodies break down sooner than others. I can't tell you all the reasons that God has allowed you to endure this trial. But I can tell you that he is good and that if you are in Christ, you have a sure hope. Listen to 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two and 43. This is an amazing promise for those who are suffering with physical pain. It says, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. The way to make the most of life now is to thank God for what you have. Resist the urge to complain about the difficulties by remembering the incredible promises that God has given us. That though we may have some light and momentary affliction right now in this life, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. We need to make the most out of life before it ends by living for what you cannot lose, serving God with all you have, and being thankful for what you have. But a life well lived also means preparing for judgment before it begins. And that's the second lesson. Prepare for judgment before it begins. Look at verse 9 of chapter 11 with me again. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And uh, if we go one more chapter over, chapter 12, verse 13 to 14, it's the way that he he ends uh, the book of Ecclesiastes with these two verses. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing. Whether good or evil. So let's just think about this for a moment. Let's just think about what we just read. A real judgment day is approaching where the risen Jesus Christ is returning and calling all sinners to account. That means every one of us. This means that what we do here on this earth is not ultimately vanity, everything that we do matters. Every word we say, every thought we think, every action we take, it is written down, it will be called to account. The book of Revelation chapter 20 gives us a picture of what that day is going to be like. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it and from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. So what that means is that there was nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go. Earth and sky fled away, completely out in the open. He goes on in verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Every deed, whether secret or public, will be fully and publicly known on that day. It will be exposed before God and all creation. His judgment will be just and final. There will be no appeals court because there's no higher authority to which we can appeal. This is a picture of Judgment Day. And here's what this means for every single person in this room, okay? And again, I'm not, uh, this is not Jared giving you his opinion. This is not Jared trying to scare you into a decision. This is Jared reading you what God's word says, okay? Here's what this means for everybody here. This means that Jesus Christ is our only hope. If left to ourselves, each and every one of us knows we will be guilty on that day. We know that we cannot stand before God blameless on our own. And the judgment for sinners is the lake of fire. That that means eternal torment separated from God. I know some of you may hear that and and think to your heart, that's not fair. I haven't done something that's that's worthy of, of a punishment like that. I don't think that that's fair. I think maybe murderers or rapists, maybe that's a punishment suited for them, but not for me. I don't deserve that. But friends, we are not judged based off of how we compare with others. We are judged according to God's perfect standard of righteousness. It's not what we've done, but the one that we've sinned against. The analogy uh, that I always share with people is this. If you kick a dog, you may get bit. If you kick a police officer, you're going to jail. If you kick a king, you're probably going to lose your head. What's the difference? All three, all three, in all three instances, you perform the same action. The difference is that is in the one that you've assaulted, the one that you've sinned against. And God is infinitely more glorious than a thousand kings. So if we sin against God, then the punishment for that sin is also infinite. Again, I'm not telling this you this to scare you. I tell you because it's true. And I want you to have life. And I have wonderfully good news for you this morning. The good news is that as awful as hell will be, God loves sinners and He has made a way to be forgiven and reconciled. God came in the person of Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. First Peter 2.24 says that He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. He died to take your punishment in your place as a substitute. And then he rose from the dead. You can't stand before God on your own on judgment day and escape judgment. You need a substitute. And Jesus is the substitute. And his free gift is received by faith alone. And if you trust him, then his death counts as your death. It is finished and your debt is paid. And you also will receive the gift of eternal resurrection life, like we read about earlier. Now, here's what the certainty of judgment day means for Christians. First, first, I want to point out to you that if you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing you need to understand. If you're a Christian then what this means for you on judgment day is that you do not need to fear it. There will be no condemnation for you in Christ. You are covered with Jesus' righteousness. Your name is written in the book of life. You've been forgiven and you cannot be lost. Jesus says in John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That is rock solid assurance for you and it's a free gift given to you only because you placed your faith in Jesus. That's the only way to receive it. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. It's a gift given by God. The second thing that the certainty of judgment day means for Christians is that what you do now matters in eternity what you do now matters in eternity. So, yes, we receive the free gift of God's righteousness, but this doesn't mean that we just go and live however we want and, you know, go, "Hey, let's have a sin party," right? Who cares? We're going to heaven. I got my get into heaven free card, and it doesn't matter how I live. That's that's not what the Bible's teaching. Listen to Matthew 12:36 and 37. Jesus says, "I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak." For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Uh, What this passage means is that our actions are evidence submitted into a court of law. Our works, like the fruit that we bear, are not what saves us. Our works, our actions are the evidence that we are saved. So we must not be careless with what we do and say. Rather, we ought to fear God and keep his commandments, like Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14 says. Someone who's truly born again will never think it doesn't matter how they live since they're already saved. People who are born again don't think, well, let me see how much I can get away with because I'm saved now, and so it doesn't really matter how I live. If you know Christ, then that means that you love him. Christians long to obey Jesus and to do good works so that, that so that we can lay them at Jesus' feet like gifts before a worthy king. We love him and we want to honor him because he's good and because he's worthy. And whenever a Christian does things that are not pleasing to God, she's quick to be grieved over her sin and to put it to death. Christians aren't perfect. Christians sin on a daily basis, but our attitude and our orientation towards sin, the way we see sin and the way we see God has completely flipped and transformed. We no longer love sin and want to chase after it and want to try to avoid and rebel against God. Instead, we love Jesus and we want to seek him and sin grieves us because it keeps us from him and it hinders fellowship and intimacy with him. And So, it, so when we do fall into it, we, we flee it and we repent of it and we ask God to help us. So let me be extra clear. You are saved by faith in Christ alone. You are not saved by works. You are not saved by your works. But although you are saved by faith in Christ alone, faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by transformation into Christ likeness. And this transformation happens by the aid of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Philippians 2, 12, and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who is at work in you, giving you the desire and the ability to do the things that are pleasing to him. So the only reason that as Christians we even have a desire to do the things that are pleasing to God is because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, giving us the desires. The only reason that we're able to overcome temptation and to overcome addiction and to overcome sin is because the Spirit of God dwelling within us gives us the ability and the strength to be able to overcome those things. Now, we have to take the step. We've got to listen to the Spirit's prompting and then put feet to our faith but it's the Holy Spirit that's empowering all of it. Thirdly, the third implication that coming judgment day has for Christians is that we must tell others. The reality of coming judgment should sober us and compel us to tell others. If we really believe this, then we can't keep it to ourselves. Coming judgment... Uh, is a missing element in most gospel presentations I've found. Most of the time, when the gospel is shared, when we share the gospel, uh, we tend to kind of leave this part out and we don't talk very much about it. Um, Why do you think that is? I, I think, honestly, it's probably because it's the most uncomfortable thing to tell people, right? But it's true. We have not shared the gospel if we only share the aspects of the gospel that we think will be palatable to the hearer. For the gospel to make sense, coming judgment must be proclaimed. It really doesn't even make sense if there's not a coming judgment because then we can't really tell people what they're being saved from and why they need a Savior. The reality is, is that people are in danger of eternal destruction. And we must tell them about the Savior, Jesus Christ. We must plead with them to believe. And telling people about the reality of hell and judgment is not scaring them into a decision. I suppose you could use it like that if you wanted to. I mean, I, I think there, you know, yes, there are preachers out there who are fire and brimstone preachers who run around screaming at people and telling them, you're all going to hell, turn or burn. You know, yeah, there's people out there doing that. That's not what I'm talking about. And that's not what God's word teaches that's not what the Bible is calling us to do. The Bible is calling us to proclaim the gospel. And the gospel is that there is shelter in Christ from the coming judgment of God upon sin. There is a judgment day coming, but we don't have to experience that judgment. We can flee to shelter in Christ because Christ Jesus took that judgment in our place on the cross. That's the demonstration of God's love for sinners. Uh, One of the things that I hope that you'll consider doing um, is, you know, because maybe you hear this and you go, man, I don't even know how to bring this up with my friends and my family members. Like, quite frankly, Jared, this, that terrifies me because I'm afraid that they might not want to talk to me again. I'm afraid I'm going to lose friendships. I'm going to lose family members. And I understand that. and And I get that that fear and that concern. That's why one of the things we want to do at Pillar DC is help equip you to be able to have those gospel conversations, uh, to be able to have the tools in your tool belt, to be able to uh, engage people in these conversations so that you can tell the people that you love uh, the gospel so that they uh, can be, uh, they can find forgiveness and freedom in Jesus Christ. And uh, so on March the 7th, we're doing a gospel conversations training, Saturday, March the 7th, Uh, it's 9 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. I know five hours seems like a long time, but I promise you it's a worthy investment because you'll leave with the tools for the rest of your life to be able to help your friends, your family members, your neighbors, and strangers to be able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ so that they can be saved from eternal judgment, so that they can have eternal life and be forgiven of their sins. If just if as a result of you coming to this training and getting equipped, if just one person gets saved as a result of this, it'll have all been worth it easily easily. So please let me urge you to mark that off on your calendar and plan on coming on March the 7th. All right. It's the last thing and we're going to close. Um, We've talked about the implications for believers of uh, the certainty of coming judgment, but here's what the certainty of coming judgment means for you this morning if you are not a Christian or if you're not sure if you're a Christian. There is nothing more important in your life right now than getting right with God. Nothing. It doesn't matter what you have going on later today, next week. There's no crisis in your life. There's literally nothing more important right now for you than to get right with God right here today. And the way that you do that is not by bettering yourself, turning over a new leaf, giving up something for Lent, the way to do that is to confess and repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ right here where you sit this morning. You can do that. You can come to uh, and receive Jesus' invitation to have your sins forgiven and to receive eternal life right here this morning simply by confessing your sins and placing your faith and your trust in Him. You can have that today. And we're going to open up the front in a moment, and I'm going to ask you to come forward in submission to Christ if you're ready to trust Him. We don't do this very often, um, but I felt compelled to do it today because I don't want just the, the, the gravity of what we're talking about today, um, I take very seriously. Like there is a judgment day coming. And every one of us will stand before God. And I don't want us to leave this morning without giving every person in here an opportunity to be certain that they know Jesus and that they are going to be forgiven of their sins and that Christ will have borne their sins so that they don't have to fear judgment day. I want you to be able to respond to an invitation to trust Jesus Christ for the first time this morning. And look, only you know, if God is talking to you this morning in your seat, you know it. You know if you're not right with God. You know if you need to respond to the gospel. Let me urge you. Look, I know uh, sometimes it can be intimidating like, well, what are people going to think about me if I come forward? Please don't let the fear of what other people are going to think about you keep you from eternal life. Don't let pride get in the way of you getting right with God this morning. And here's what I can promise you. Every single one of us in this room knows good and well we need to be right here at the front on our faces at the altar because every single one of us desperately needs the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't stand before God on Judgment Day alone. We need God's grace. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Um, And we're going to have uh, a couple of people standing up front here uh, when we begin to sing. Um, And if you know that God's calling you to either place your faith in him for the first time, or if you need to get right with God, maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe uh, Maybe you got baptized when you were a kid. Maybe you prayed a prayer one time, but you know you haven't been living right. You know you've been neglecting your relationship with God, and you're really you'd say, Jared, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty that I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I can't say with a hundred percent certainty that I know I'm forgiven of my sins. Make certain today. Don't leave here being uncertain. There's no need to. You can make certain this morning. Let me urge you and encourage you to come up and we want to pray with you. And we want to help you leave this morning knowing for certain that you've been forgiven of your sins and that you've got a new relationship with God. There's no middle ground. Every single one of us is making a choice this morning. You can either choose to receive the forgiveness of Jesus or reject it, but we can't do neither one. Let me urge you to receive him. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing I Surrender All and we'll sing it as long as we need to and uh, there's going to be people standing up front and we're all going to stand as we sing and if you need to come and get right with God then I'm going to ask you to just get out of your seat and come forward and pray with one of us. God, I thank you so much for this morning and Jesus, I thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. God, I, I just pray that you would help us grasp um, the the gravity of your love. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that doesn't know you. God, I pray that you would open their eyes grant them faith and I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray for those of us who uh, maybe we haven't been serving you with our best haven't been serving you with, with, with our youth, remembering our creator and our youth. God, I pray that today, if there's anybody here that needs to get right with you, that today they would do that. That today they would be reminded of your steadfast love and your abundant mercy, of your willingness to forgive, of the reality that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That Jesus, there is safety in your arms. God, we worship you. We thank you for your grace and for the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.